Amen. <clears throat> thank you, uh, Brandon. I want to especially thank Brandon and uh, Will Devon for uh, not only heading up the ministry, but uh, putting this uh, together this morning. It's something that is uh, the heartbeat of Jesus. And so, therefore, it's the heartbeat of Hope Covenant Church. And we're really grateful to all of you for your participation. Um, I'd like to begin by reading the text this morning from Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, we have it in your sermon notes and we'll put it up on the screen as well. Uh, this is God's word for Hope Covenant Church today. And uh, I would like you to hear these words now in Jesus name. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Brothers and sisters, um, this text is calling us to um, to be alive in Christ. Many years ago, now it was back in the late 80s, um, I was serving a church in Denver, a Lakewood Covenant Church. And we had a girl in our church. In fact, she was one of our daughter's closest friends. Her name was Julie Moulton. Julie had severe uh, cystic fibrosis. And it was known by the church that eventually uh, she was probably not going to see 20 years of age. In in fact, uh, she was 16 when she was finally hospitalized and she fell into a coma from which the doctors said she would not return. But simply she would stop breathing one day. After this news was given to the family that her death was very near, uh, the family stood around Julie in the hospital, with, and I was with them. Mom and Dad and two sisters and I stood in a circle around Julie's bed, and we were praying and talking and laughing and remembering Julie and just doing the work of grief uh, around this beautiful girl who is soon to be going to be with the Lord. As we were talking... Uh, completely unexpected and a surprise that no one expected, including the doctors. Julie sat bolt upright in bed. She looked at her mom and dad and she said, don't be sad. I'm going to be with Jesus. And then she laid down 
And within just a few moments, she breathed her last breath. Now, that's a wonderful story, but you should have seen the five of us when she sat up in bed. We all went, yikes, you know, like this. You know, it was like watching literally someone that was dead come back to life. It's that same surprise that we see in the text that Paul is telling us. If you would just understand how big Jesus is, if you could just get a grip on how big the gospel is, if you just knew how enormous this faith that you have in Christ can be and how it can change your life, you will literally come alive from being dead. There's something startling about the presumed dead coming back to life. It's, it's completely unexpected. It's counterintuitive. And obviously, it's a game changer. Paul, in this text, is talking about this exact scenario. People literally walking around like zombies, walking dead, dead in their sins, spiritually unalive, caught up in a struggle to live apart from God. And then everything changed when we were surprised by life. Colossians 2.13 says it this way. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins. If you are in Christ, if Christ is in you, we've talked about Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. If Jesus Christ has taken up residence in your life by faith, then you are alive. And Paul would say this to each and every one of you. You're alive. Now live like it. Act like it. Behave like it. Don't behave like you're still dead. Act like you're alive. You're forgiven. You're triumphant. In Paul's words, you have to experience the big gospel, the big grace, the big Jesus. And all of that is bigger than death. Then in chapter 3, verse 1 that we just read, we read these words. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. You're alive in Christ. So live in it. Every first Sunday, we did this last Sunday, uh, after communion, when communion is over, I always quote the same verse, Colossians 2.26. Every Sunday, we, every Sunday we do communion. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How do I finish it? So live in him. As therefore I have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So live in him. Paul goes into this discussion in this chapter 3 of dead things and live things, of virtues of the living and the finality of the dead. And probably the best example, and Paul would agree with this, of this idea comes from John, the Gospel, John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Many of you know the story. Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. They were close friends of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' disciples were away when he received the word that Lazarus was near death. He was very sick. And sick unto death. And uh, Jesus, the, the text says in John 11 that he waited two more days. This is kind of interesting. You th- would have thought he would have rushed back there. But he waited two more days, went back there, and uh, Lazarus was dead. In fact, he'd been dead for four days. And in the King James Version, it says, surely by now he stinketh. Well, there's it's better ways of saying it in the NIV. Uh, he's dead. <laughs> dead four days. And that's what happens. And so he was buried. He was in a tomb. It was all done. Jesus comes back. 
Martha is complaining, Lord, if only you would have been here, he would not have died. And Jesus said, but he's going to live again. And she said, I know he's going to live again in the resurrection and all that spiritual stuff. He said, no, 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 no. I mean, he's going to live again right now. And then Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And guess what? (laughs) He did. Now, when he came out, it was kind of odd, right? Because he had on these um, uh, grave clothes. And what they were is linen wrapped around him very tightly, wrapped around the body. And it was, it was really adhered to his body. Uh, it's kind of it was the way they did death in those days in terms of uh, preserving the body. Uh, it would be kind of like a plaster of Paris around this linen. So it actually became like a, a thin uh, cast. It was around him. So Jesus, or Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And so here comes Lazarus. You'd think he'd come running and bounding and leaping up, and instead he came out like this. Here I am. <laughs> I'm alive. You know, what are we going to do now? And the next thing Jesus said was, uh, take off the grave clothes and let him go. He was still wearing the clothes of death. He was still bound by the things that kept him bound when he was dead. And Jesus said, you've got to take those things off. You've got to remove those things. And, and so they did. And then, and then he could run and leap and rejoice. And Lazarus was alive. And it was a miracle. And it was wonderful. But how much more you and I? We come to Christ. And then we still walk around like we're bound up in our old life. The old sin. The old brokenness, the old sadness, the old uh, lack of purpose. And we're all like, and, and what Paul is saying in, in, in Colossians 3 is get rid of those old clothes, those death clothes. Get rid of those things that, that don't anymore give you life. Be alive. Put on new clothes. This beautiful kind of back and forth that we see in this text is. Uh, Paul is saying, take off the old, take off the old death clothes, those things that bound you up, that kept you from being alive when you are not in Christ. And now that you're in Christ, put on some new clothes. And so he goes into what it looks like on the surface, kind of behavioral examples, right? Put on, uh, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, etc. He, he says, put all that off. And it, it seems like what he's saying is that. Uh, what you need to do now is just stop doing those things. But that's not what the text says at all. It's not a matter of stopping doing those things. It's a matter of taking those things off. Getting rid of them. They're binding you up. They're keeping you from being alive. Get rid of them. And then he switches gears and said, now what I want you to put on is kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul here is addressing not an exterior behavior life, but an interior life that produces fruit. Good fruit or bad fruit. Let me explain it this way. Every temptation you and I have to sin is, in the moment, a temptation to disbelieve the gospel. Every temptation you have to sin in that instant, in that moment, it is a temptation to disbelieve the gospel. Because the gospel says what? Jesus is big enough. His grace is big enough. His forgiveness is big enough. He is everything you need. He is everything you want. He is everything you could possibly contain. He is everything. So temptation really is not about behavior. It's about belief. Bad behavior happens when we fail to believe that everything we need in Christ we already have. 
Conversely, good behavior happens when we daily rest in and receive the finished work of Christ in deeper and deeper ways, smashing our need to secure or hold on to anything beyond what Christ has secured for us. I wrote that down because I thought that this is the gospel. We are so focused on good behavior and bad behavior, we forget that it comes from someplace much, much deeper than the surface. It comes from a deep part of us that says, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he is bigger than my sin. He is bigger than my pain. He is bigger than my brokenness. And I receive that. And when you do that, you start living. And you start walking alive. And you're no longer bound up with the grave clothes. Everything changes. Everything. I used to think that Paul was basically saying in this passage, well, just with determination and patience, uh, with determination and hard work, just be more patient, you know. Uh, uh, Crank up the patience meter. Uh, Crank up the joy meter, the love meter. That's not what he's saying at all. He says, all of those things don't come from you wanting to behave correctly. They come from a deep place of recognition that the gospel is real, that Jesus is real, and he's in you, and you have everything you need. One of the things that uh, Joyce Vogt and I have talked about is uh, this uh, young man uh, by the name of, um, um, uh, help me, Joyce. Yeah, Bo. <laughs> Bo. Uh, this uh, young man, he was here at the human trafficking viewing of the film a couple of weeks ago. And I met with him before that. I went down to Casa Grande to meet him because I was intrigued by his story. He grew up in, um, in uh, San Fernando Valley where all the porn is, not all, but most of the porn is made. And he grew up in a porn family where his mom and dad both worked in the porn industry. And so to him, this was normal. This was normal. And when he finally gave his heart to Christ, people started telling him, uh, you shouldn't do that. And, you, and, and yet this was such a part of his soul. It was so a part of his character and who he was as a man, as a sexual being. That How do I get away from that? And what he, his testimony is so powerful because he says, I tried to not do porn. I tried to do Christian type sex. I tried to do the right thing with my wife. I tried to, but I, I was never successful until I realized deep within me that Jesus was bigger than those images on the screen, more satisfying than those images on the screen, better than anything he could find. And that marriage, a marriage bed that is, that is secure and safe and holy and beautiful is better than any sexual experience you can have in this planet. He said, I never was able to get rid of porn until I went to a deep place. And that's what this text is telling us today. If you are struggling with your old way of life, your old way of doing ministry, you're still bound up with those, 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 those clothes, you need to get rid of them. And you don't get rid of them by determination. You get rid of them by digging deep into your soul and saying, the gospel is big enough for me. See, the key to the Christian life is not behaving better. <laughs> it's believing better. Believing more deeply that what Jesus has already accomplished is enough for you. This means that the real change happens not only when we continuously rediscover the gospel. One writer said it this way, not our movement towards the goal. It's the movement of the goal in us. (laughs) It's the movement of Jesus in us. It's not behaving better. 
but getting a better grasp on grace. Understanding in a deep place in your soul his love and his freedom and his joy. What you will discover is that once the gospel frees you from having to do anything for Jesus, listen to this, you'll want to do everything for Jesus. Once the the gospel frees you from being a legalist and having to do a checklist and always wanting to do the right thing, once the gospel frees you from doing that, you'll want to do everything to show him how much you love him. Like Paul said in Colossians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you'll do it all to the glory of God. And once you find this Jesus, this big Jesus, this big gospel deep inside of you, guess what? The natural growth, the natural outflow of your life will not be those things that bound you up in death, but things that spring from your life that are really the character of Jesus Christ. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Compassion? We've been talking about CMJ Sunday. Compassion, the word literally from the Greek, means a heart of pity. It means you feel deeply for someone who is hurting. The ancient world lacked mercy. If you read the Gospels, you see it. Suffering animals, who cares? The maimed, the blind, the sickly, the elderly, the retarded. Uh, there was unfeeling towards them. There was just no, nothing around them except superstition. Josephus himself said in the first century, uh, a Jewish scholar, Josephus said, the Romans were uh, in a, a people without a heart. And this is the context to which Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he changed everything. It wasn't just the gospel that was spoken with your words, as powerful as that was. It was the gospel that was spoken with your hands. Give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It's not that you're just doing it for that person who needs the water. You are. But you're also doing it for Jesus. There's kindness. The word kindness comes from the Greek word krestotes. Krestotes is kind of a metaphor from wine growing. Remember our series on the vine. Uh, it's, it's a wine that has grown mellow with age. It's lost its harshness. Kindness is a goodness that soothes or heals. Humility. Humility. Free to forfeit your rights because the needs, your needs are met in a deeper place. You see what, what they say? You're not humil- humility. You're not humble so that people think you're humble. But it, there's a deep place in you that your needs are met. Therefore, you are free to meet the needs of others. When we do our, we're going to be doing a search for a new worship pastor, as you know. Scott announced that last week. And, and as we do, of course, all the things that I matter, I've read all the books. I know how to uh, find people and how to recruit them. You know, you look for competence, character, and compatibility. I know all of that. But I'll tell you the one thing that I look for in a staff member is humility. Somebody that, that, that recognizes that their, their needs are met in a very, very deep place in their soul by Jesus. And that gives them the freedom to serve others. Gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Why can you forgive? Because you have been forgiven so big. (laughs) Because 
your, the grace has been so far extended to you because your life is so free from guilt because the forgiveness is complete and real and the grace is all around you. Why do you forgive? Because Christ has forgiven you. When you believe, not behave, when you believe in the vastness, the bigness, the epicness, probably not a word, (laughs) of God's love and grace and forgiveness, then you will walk and talk and live like one who has been raised from the dead. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, um, your love and your grace is, is, is epic in our lives. It's something that is beyond our imagination. It's something we can't even get a handle on. But Lord, would you help us today to believe this truth, that our life with Jesus is, is not how we behave. It's how we believe. And when I believe that Jesus is big enough to meet every one of my needs, when I believe that Jesus is vast enough to forgive all of my sins, when I believe that Jesus is graceful enough that gives me a life that's worth living, that's when I live my life fully and I live alive in you. So Lord, I pray that for every single person in our church today that they would experience this enormous, this vast uh, love of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's my prayer for all of us, Father. I pray this in your precious and holy name. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.